Psalms 8 verse 5. Look at verse 6 onwards. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, it says in the Bible, right? Okay. But the word angels is actually the Greek word Elohim. So the word Elohim simply means God. So the Bible says God has made man a little lower than God himself. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Now I'm not saying we are God, but God has given a position in creation. We know that angels are created to serve the sons or those who are heirs of salvation. In God's order of creation, man is created lower than God, but is above creation. Because creation is served, is created to serve mankind. Okay? So thou mayst him, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and has crowned him with glory and honor. So God crowned man with glory and honor. So that's our destiny. That's the will of God for man. Man was not created to live in, to be in sin, to be bound by addictions, to be bound by depression, hopelessness, fear, mental cases. God created man to be crowned with glory and honor because we represent God. We are created in His image. Amen. Look at verse 6. Thou mayst him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. God created man to have dominion over all of creation. That is the position that God gave man from the very beginning. It's a position of glory and honor. It's a position of power and might. Now, God's original will for man is still his will for men today. Do you agree? Yes. God's original will for mankind, as we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, is still his will for mankind today and also for you. Did you know that God has created you for glory and honor, to share in his glory and honor? God has created you to live on the earth, reigning in life. Amen. God has created you to be not a slave, but a master. A master over your body and your soul, your emotions, your feelings. A master over your passions. A master of the purpose and destiny that God has for your life. But He did all of that to be successful in relationship with Him. In union with Him. That as Adam would live daily by the knowledge of God... He would be able to rule the earth. But Adam and Eve turned their back on God. And they decided to eat from the tree knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil. So instead of living by the knowledge of God. They wanted to live by a different knowledge. Right? I told you two kinds of knowledge. The knowledge of good and evil. <clears throat> that man decides on their own. Rather than letting God decide for them. And how do you decide the knowledge of good and evil for yourself? 
is through your natural senses and your reasoning, your intellect, your soul and your body. Eve saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes. It was beautiful to her eyes. And she reasoned in her head, if I eat this, it's good for me. I will become like God. My life will improve. My position will be exalted. So she tried to help herself. She was already like God, but Satan deceived her into thinking that she is not and she can be like God by her works. Did you get it? And that's how she felt because, see, the kingdom of God works like this. Adam, the moment he became alive, he lived with the knowledge of God because the spirit of God was in him. And the way that he ruled over the earth was by faith. Because that is the way God functions. The kingdom of God functions by faith. Abraham believed, I'm, I'm sorry, Adam believed and walked with God. He named every animal by faith. Did Adam become like God by his works or was Adam like God? Adam was just like God. Now he just had to believe it. Right? From the moment he was a living being, he was just like God. Now he had to believe it. As long as he believed he was created like God, he could function as God. So what is the temptation that comes from the serpent? It's a temptation of identity. You are not like God. But if you eat of this tree, you will become like God. Are you following Adam was who he was because of his belief. You are not what you do. You are what you believe. That is the system of grace. That is the system of the kingdom of God. However, Satan came and deceived Eve and Adam into saying, you are not like God. But if you will do, do, do. If you will do, right? If you will act on your own power, in your own wisdom, in your own initiative, don't believe what God says. But if you will do out of your own self-righteousness, you will become like God. So they were deceived into thinking they will become if they do. So they ate. And the moment they ate, they lost what they already had. Because what they had was not by doing, it was by believing. Are you with me? And so, sin came into creation. The curse entered God's perfect. As we see, the consequences of sin, experienced spiritual death, separation from God, they lost the knowledge of God. Number three, they inherited the nature from Adam. Number four, lost the position with God, the position of righteousness, favor, union with God, and so on. Number five, lost the dominion and authority they had over the earth. And number five, man's eternal destiny was now death. Right? Look at Second, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. For since by man came death, God did not create death. But because God created men with free will, the ability to love him, obey him or not, that was where 
death entered into creation because of man's choice. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. And the second man is capital M, right? In the Bibles? So that's referring to Jesus. By the first Adam came death. By the second Adam also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22. For as in Adam all, all die. We are born in death. Even so in Christ all shall be made alive. In Christ all shall be made alive. So the eternal destiny of man without Christ is death. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, let me read from verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not obey God, who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Christ. That means, how do you obey the gospel? You believe or you don't believe. Okay, verse 9. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So right there, it proves there is an eternal death destiny for those who do not believe in Jesus. So that's the destiny of all fallen men. However, God was not content in leaving man in his fallen state because he's a God of love. So from the very beginning, he instituted a plan of redemption. Jesus is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world and... From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, we see God giving us a glimpse of how that redemption will take place when He covered Adam and Eve with the tunics of skin, the animal skin. So when you take the animal skin from the animal, there's always blood, isn't it? And He covered them, showing that in the future there will come a Lamb of God whose sacrifice will cover mankind of all their iniquities and clothe them in the righteous robes of His own righteousness. So that's God's plan of redemption. Okay? So in time, God sends His only begotten Son, Jesus, born of the Spirit in the womb of Mary to die on the cross of humanity and pay the sacrifice for the sins of all humanity. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ, the Anointed One, died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And He was seen by Cephas, that is another name for Peter, and then by the twelve. That is the basic gospel. Christ came he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And all of that he did for us. That's God's plan of redemption. So it is by believing in the finished work of Calvary, by believing in the work of Jesus, that we accept him as a Lord and Savior, and we receive salvation. Right? We see that in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Let's go there. It's always good to remind ourselves. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be, you will be saved. Full stop. Right? What does it mean? 
See, the Bible doesn't say, like some people may teach, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved if you go to church your whole life. You will be saved if you are a good Christian. You will be saved if you do this and if you do that. Do you see that in the Bible? No. You will be saved. Period. If you believe and you confess. If you believe in the work of Jesus for you. His grace accomplished you. And you confess from your heart and your mouth. You will be the word will is one of the strongest words in English. It means absolutely, without doubt, you are saved. No confusion at all. Only by faith. Amen. If you believe and you confess, you are saved. Past tense. For with the heart one believes. It, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So that's God's plan of redemption. Hallelujah. Now, all of you believe you're born again, right? Your sins are forgiven. The sad part is that many Christians do not progress beyond that. They believe they are born again. They've accepted Jesus. They have assurance of salvation. But they still try to live their Christian life in their own strength. Trying to be as good a Christian as they can. And of course... Always so self-focused because I'm trying to be a good Christian. So we will use words like, I'm a sinner saved by grace. We're all weak as worms and so on. To define themselves that even though they believe they are born again, their sins are forgiven, they never go beyond that knowledge to really understand the in Christ reality of the union with God. And they live in ignorance of what happened to them in their salvation. Okay. Now let me tell you this. Salvation is more than forgiveness of our sins. And receiving eternal life from God. It's more than that. Amen. Now look at this. Death came into the world and into man because of man's fall. This death is a result of the sin of man. This death is witnessed not only in a corrupted and fallen creation, but also in the spirits of men being corrupted in inheriting a nature of sin and death. There is sin in men and therefore there is death in men. As a result, salvation must be more than just eternal life going to heaven that we receive after saying the sinner's prayer. Salvation should be more than just getting a certificate saying we are forgiven of our sins. Did you understand? This is what happened to us as a result of sin. Spiritual death, lost knowledge of God, sin nature, lost position, lost dominion, eternal death in our destiny. Now, that is what we lost because of sin and death. Adam's sin. Now, salvation must be a reversal of the effects of sin. Are you following? It must be a reversal of the effect of sin that was brought into man. You must get this. Okay. Alright. So what is salvation? Write it down. God did not come to make bad people good people. 
God did not come to turn bad people into good people. Jesus died on the cross to make dead people have life. Did you get it? God did not come to make bad people into good people. Jesus died on the cross so that dead people, because we were all dead. See, no matter how smart you are, how good you are, how brilliant you are, if you don't have Christ, you are dead. So salvation is not about making you a better person than before. Salvation is about giving you a new life. Salvation is an exchanged life. Write it down. An exchanged life. Salvation is an exchanged life. God did not come to change your life. God came to give you a new life. Not turning bad people to good people, but turning dead. Alive people. Amen? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is there anyone in Christ? He is a new creation. He is right now. Not he will be when he goes to heaven. He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He is a new creation. And the word new means something that never existed before. That means the moment you got born again, your spirit man came alive with the very life of God. The very nature of God. The man was removed. The old man was exchanged. The old man of sin. Okay. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Something that never existed before. You see, God did not come to renovate you. Sometimes we take old furniture. We take it to the shop. We remove the cover. We remove the springs. We remove the sponge. And then we put new springs. We put new foam. And we put a new covering. And then we paint the wood again in the legs. So it looks new. But is it really new? It's not new. It's just modified. See, many Christians think that when they give their lives to Jesus, Jesus comes and modifies them. But that's not the case. When you gave your life to Jesus, the old man, the old man of death was completely removed. Right, go to Romans chapter 6. And a completely new man was created. Romans chapter 6 verse 16. Verse 6, I'm sorry. Romans 6 verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. This old man is not your father. Sometimes we say, my old man, my old man. Not your father, right? It's you. The one without Christ. The old sin nature. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. When we say here the body of sin, it's not referring to your body. 
is referring to the complete body of sin. Sin here is a noun. That means all sin, complete sin, has been done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. The old man is crucified. It's gone. The old man is gone. See, you still don't understand that. And that's why when we share a testimony sometimes, we talk about our old man as if he's still alive. We take delight. Oh, you know, I used to drink so much. Oh, I used to take so much drugs. Oh, I used to beat up people. But the old man is gone. He's dead. You are a new creation. When I got born again, and I would meet my old friends in Delhi, college friends with whom I used to go drinking, partying and all. They used to tell me, you know, Sean, let's go. Let's go drink tonight. Let's go to this party. Let's go to this restaurant. Let's go to this club. And I found it very difficult to tell them I can't do those things anymore because I've given my life to Christ. But hey, you're still the same old guy. You're still the same old guy. Come on, let's go and just have fun like we did in the old days. So I would just tell them, I'm a new creation. And they would not understand. I mean, what do you mean new creation? Don't talk nonsense, man. Come on, let's go. But I had to say it. I'm a new creation to declare by my faith and my words that that old son is dead. I'm a new creation. That That new creation doesn't do any of those old things. I'm a new creation. Sometimes we say this, right? Oh, I just struggled with that. I struggled with that. And I'm still struggling with that. Right? Yes or no? But when you say that, you and what happened to you? Your old man is gone. Your old man is dead. The new you is a new creation. See, you have to see what happened to you in Christ. Otherwise, we will still think that we are the same old man struggling like in the past with lust and sin and other things. And then we yield to that old man or that old nature. Not understanding that we have become a new creation. Okay, let's go on reading. Look at verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if he died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon or consider, meditate, think yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are dead to sin. That old man is dead. That old man that used to struggle with drugs is dead. You don't struggle with drugs anymore. That old man that used to struggle with smoking, alcohol is dead. That old man who used to fight is dead. Amen. You are a new creation. Now, who is this new creation? Unless you know who this new creation is, you will not be able to function in your new creation privileges and you will slip back to that all former life of defeat. Amen? So, this new creation that is in Christ is actually, guess what? Christ Himself who has come to live in you. Turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him. Okay, that old man. 
that man that you were before you met Jesus Christ. That old man is dead. Okay, the old man is buried. Don't keep on talking so much about what you used to do in the past. Do you go to the cemetery and dig up your ancestors' bones? Huh? You don't. Because it's, it's unclean to do that, isn't it? Once you bury, you just keep it buried, right? So your old man is buried. Your old man is dead. Yes or no? Don't keep on digging it up. Talking about how bad you were. There's no such thing as, I was really, really bad. Oh, but you were not so bad because you just got born again in church. But I was really bad because as you steal, as you take. There's no such thing as really bad and bad. We were all bad. We were all terrible, all right? We were all in death, sin nature. Doesn't matter whether on the outside you were a good man and on the outside you were a bad man. There is no levels of death. Yes or no? You know that the nominal Christian who is in church his whole life but not born again is as terrible on the nature, sin, death, as the one in prison who murdered 50 people. It's the same, isn't it? Because it's not about behavior. It's not about conduct. It's about nature. The sin nature. Let's say there's a priest, a Catholic priest, who stays in the monastery his whole life, but he has never believed in Jesus, trusting in his own works for salvation. Do you know that his sin nature is as dead as the serial murderer who has killed thousands of people? Same. So there's no such thing as, oh, I was really Hey, just keep him buried. He's gone. He's gone. Amen. Don't dig up the dead man again. Now focus on who you have become in Christ. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Okay. I have been crucified with Christ. The word I means the old man. Paul is saying, the old man have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer the old nature, the sin nature who lives in me, but now the new nature is Christ. Christ lives in me. Can you say amen? And the life which I now live in the flesh, in the natural, in this world, I live, the King James Bible says, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, salvation is not about a changed life. It's an exchanged life. God took that old man out of you and God put Christ in you. Do you get it? God put Christ in you. You are not that old man anymore. Don't see yourself as, oh, I'm a Bengali, I'm an Assamese. I'm a... Listen, that's only in the flesh. The real you. God took that old man out of you, that sin nature man, and God put Christ in you. So Paul is saying, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In other words, Christ has come to rent my body. Amen. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Even your faith is not your faith. Did you know that? It's a gift from God. Christ is the new creation life. That is in you. Look at Galatians chapter 6 verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, 
but a new creation. The new creation being. Look at verse 14, what Paul says. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I am dead to the world, he says. Because now it is all about the new creation, who I have become in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself, Jesus created in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. God has created one new man. And that is who you are. And that is what you need to know about yourself. It's created in Christ. The Bible says in himself. So this new creation believer, that is the greatest mystery that the world needs to hear. That is the message that we need to preach more and more. Now God, through Jesus, told Nicodemus in the garden at night. Born again. Nicodemus was confused. Do I have to go back to my mother's womb? Jesus says, what is born of the flesh is flesh. But what is born of the spirit is spirit. So Jesus was talking about spiritual things. Nicodemus could not understand because he was trying to understand with the natural mind. That's why the natural person cannot understand spiritual things. This has to be revealed to us by God. Just as man is born naturally, there must be a spiritual birth. And the spiritual birth is brought about by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Look at John chapter 1 verse 12. Are you there? Okay. But as many as received Him, received who? Jesus. To them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His Name. Look at the next verse, verse 13. Who were born, not of natural blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Everyone say, of God. Of God. See, you cannot become a Christian by your own willpower. It's impossible. It is something that... God does supernaturally by His grace the moment you receive Jesus and you believe in His name. It is not fleshly birth. It has nothing to do with human blood. It has nothing to do with human will. It's completely a spiritual birth. That means God gives birth to you. Of, the word of means origin. That's where the new creation being comes from. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. You must know your beginnings. Nagas are confused because we don't know where we came from. We came from China. We came from Mongolia. We have all these, you know, folk tales, oral traditions, but we really don't know where our origins. Okay, knowing your origins is important because it makes you understand your purpose, your significance in life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone say born of God. Born of God. God gave birth to you. 
And everyone who loves Jesus, who begot, also loves him who is begotten by him. How many of you believe Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one? Can I see your hands? You're born of God. You're born of God. See, you are not trying to change your life. Come to church. Come to Jesus. He will change your life. He will make you a better man. No. God is not in the business of making you better. An improved sinner is still a sinner. Right? An improved sinner is still a sinner. A changed sinner is still a sinner. Do you know that even sinners, they check themselves into rehabs. They go and see psychiatrists and they become better persons. Do you know that? Yeah, but they're still sinner. Because we don't understand the part of the nature, the spirit. So God's not interested in changing you. He wants to kill you. So when you believed in Christ, the Bible says you are crucified with Christ. The old man is there. You are dead. That's what Paul says. I'm dead. It's no longer I who live. Are you getting it now? And he says, I, I can't use the old man. Let's just get it out. We are trying so hard to improve the old man to psychology, self-help, motivation teachings. Let's go to shift Kera. Let's go to this motivation class and let's improve ourselves. God doesn't need any improvement from the sinner. The best sinner is still sinner. Yes or no? So, God has to do something so radical. That means, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, He gives birth to you. You are born of God. You are born of God. And everyone who loves Him, who begot also loves Him, who is begotten by Him. Born of God. Born of God. Think, just meditate on that. Born of God. Just as your mother gave birth to you, God gave birth to you. Just because of your father and mother giving birth to you, you have certain characteristics. Your nose comes from your father, your grandfather. You are tall like your father's side, mother's side, right? You inherit natures from your father and mother's side. Yes or no? Yes. And some of us, we don't want that. So we want to be blonde. We, want to be, we reject our own nature. We want to become people of another nature. You see, the only way you can become an American is... You have to be born as an American, isn't it? The only way you can be part of the royal family of England is be born. Because you have to have the royal blood. Amen. The only way you can be a true Naga is you have to be born to a Naga family. In the Mabu, we have so many people who have Naga names. But their names are very Naga, but their face is completely from another part of the world. Right? So you have to be born of God. Look at 1 John 5, 4. There's something very interesting here. For whatever is born of God overcomes the... Ah. If you believe you're born of God, and if you know how your birth began, then you can overcome. The ability to overcome is in knowing your union with Christ. Is knowing your spiritual birth. Look at 1 John chapter 4. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. God abides in him and he in God. What does this mean? It means 
that when you accepted Jesus, you received a completely brand new life that is birthed from God itself. The Bible says we are born of the Word of God. And in other parts of the Bible says we are born of the Spirit of God. So the Word of God and the Spirit of God gave birth to us. How? When you heard the gospel, you believed in your heart. That is the work of the Spirit. But you heard the Word of God. And the moment you accepted, the Holy Spirit came. The Word became real. And you got born again. Amen? Hallelujah. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures. So look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Everyone say nature. Oh, nature. You get a new nature. You partake of the divine nature. No longer the sin nature, no longer the old man, but a new nature. A new nature. Partake means you become a part of it. It becomes part of you. A new nature. Just meditate on it. Don't see yourself in the flesh. Don't be so conscious of your souls, your intellect, your past, your memories of your past words, past sins, your memories of your past failures. Don't be conscious of those things. Just believe the word. Whether you comprehend it completely, whether you feel it or not, it's not important. Believing it. It's a fact. It's a fact. Whether you, believe, whether you feel it or not, it's a fact. You have a new nature. Amen. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins or trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. We were dead, but He made us alive. We were dead in sins, but when we believed, He made us alive. God doesn't want the old man. Don't try to change the old man. He gave you new life. This translation, the cotton patch translation says this. He breathed the same new life into us as into the Christ. The same life that's in Christ is also in us. Okay, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. There's a lot of scripture we'll look at right now. Because I want you to see everything from the Bible itself. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Now look at verse 22. This tells you again how you were born again. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Right? Through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Purify your soul in obeying the truth. That means you believe the truth. And the moment you believe, you are purified. You're born again, right? Verse 23. Having been born again. Ah, that's you. You are born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You are born again through the word of God. And the word of God is spirit and life. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. Right? Because we love the brethren, he who does not love his brother abides in death. 
We know that we have passed from death to life. So you have passed from the region of death into the region of life. You have passed from the region of sin into the region of righteousness. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. And this is the promise that He has promised us. Eternal life or the life of God. Look at 1 John chapter 5, 11 to 13. This is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life, and this life is in His Son. This life is in His Son. He who has the Son, how many of you has the Son? Can I see your hands? Ah, then it means this. If you have the Son, the Bible says you have life. You have life. Don't ever question whether you have life. Don't ever wonder where is the life. I don't feel life. I don't feel powerful. I don't feel saved. I don't feel very righteous. Don't ever question that. Your only question should be, do I have the Son? Do I believe in the Son? Because if you have the Son, you have life. If you have the wife, you have the cook also. No, just a joke, all right? Not all wives have to cook. I'm not a misogynist, but just making a point. So don't look for the cook. Ah, just look for the wife. One wife comes with all different talents and gifts and abilities. Right? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Look at verse 13. Very important. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Can I know that I have eternal life? Can you know? Yes, you can. Because John wrote this epistle to believers to tell them, listen, I'm writing this to you so that you will know. So that you'll have knowledge. So that you'll have experience that you have this life. Don't be in doubt. Don't wonder. You have this life. And I'm writing this to you so that you will know. How will you know? Do you have the son? Yes. Then you have the life. As simple as it is. Amen. You have life. Don't be focused on your flesh. It gets bored. You get tired. You get exhausted. No. Don't look at the world and try to look for life in the world. Look for hope, excitement, enthusiasm from the world. The world will go up and down. Good news comes, you get excited. India wins the World Cup, you get excited. And then what happens? We see war, you see inflation, you get hopeless, you get into fear. There is no permanent good news that comes from the world. So you have to be focused on the Spirit. Live out of spiritual truths. If you have the Son, you have life. I'm not trying to get life. I have life. You have it. You have it. If your whole life you're trying to get life, you're very frustrated. And that's what the Christian life many times is about. Because religion tells us, ah, you're not strong yet. You're not blessed yet. But if you do this, you will get this. If you do this, you'll be strong. If you do this, you'll become like God. So whole life we're trying to pray fast, do good works, to get what we already have. Isn't it? 
You already have life. Does fasting for 40 days give you more life than what you have today? No. You already have it. You just don't know it. And you're not aware of it. But you already have life. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. Because of sin, death entered. Because of sin, death entered. Because of sin came death. And sin and death is a prison that Adam could not come out of. And everyone who was born through Adam is born in a prison of sin and death. But now when Jesus comes, whoever believes in Him shall not be perishing. That means shall not be in sin and death, but have everlasting life. So in Christ, God makes a new law. It's a new law called life. He who has a son has life. He who does not have the son does not have. You are in sin and death. It's a law. That means it will work every time. There is no doubt at all. It will work for you in Iceland. It will work for you in Africa. It will work for you in New York. It will work for you in Nepal. It will work for you in Nagaland. It's a law. If you jump from the rooftop in Africa, will you die? In Dubai? In America? The law of gravity works the same everywhere. Isn't it? So this law works the same for anyone. It's not for white people different law. American Christian better than us. No, nothing like that. You just have to learn to use the word of God. The law of the spirit of life. Because the Holy Spirit brings the life, right? In Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. That means you are free from the law of sin and death. If you believe, it's not by doing, it's by believing. How did Adam and Eve get into the prison of sin and death? By doing. So, God made a new law. He says, all men are going to die in eternal death unless Jesus comes, dies on the cross for them, is resurrected from the dead. And if people will believe in Jesus and His work, then that is greater than sin and death. How do I activate that law in my life? Believe. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So, salvation is not a changed life. It's an exchanged life. He did not come to make bad people good. He came to make Dead people live. Hallelujah. And when does this happen? The moment you believe. Alright. Look at the word zoe. Zoe. Which is the word for life. Okay. John 10 verse 10. Look at that. Z-O-E. In the Greek. Alright. Life. Or eternal life. Let's read John 10 10. The thief comes. Except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. So Jesus came to give life. The word life is zoe. Okay. 
And this word is used in the New Testament of life as a principle. Life in the absolute sense. The same life that God has. Write it down. The same life that God has. Which the Father has in Himself. Which He gave the Son to have. And which the Son manifested. Did you get it? The same life which the Father has. Which He gave the Son. And which the Son manifested in the world. That life. This is the life that man lost because of Adam's sin. Okay, this is the life that Adam lost because of his sin. But this is a life that is restored back to us when we have faith in Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That means by faith, you partake of this life again. And therefore, Christ is said to be the life of the believer because this life is in Christ. This means this. This life is the present possession. Everyone say the present possession of the believer. You're not going to have life when you get to heaven. Yes, there will be a new resurrected body. But in terms of eternal life, you already have it. Amen? It's the present actual possession of the believer because of his relationship with God. And one day, this life will be flowing in your human body. When you get a resurrected body in the resurrection of the last days. This life is not merely a principle of power of eternality, but this life refers to a quality of life. It is not a quantity of life. Because we think everlasting, that means forever. We're thinking like that, right? No. The word life is referring to a quality of life. Everyone say quality of life. That you have right now. The same life as God has. Which is possible for you to enjoy here on this earth, as you learn to walk by faith. How? Is there any depression in God? Huh? Then you can live free from depression when you learn to access this life. Is there any sadness in God? No, God is full of life. There is no death in God. There is no darkness in God. There is no shadow in God. That's why people who go up to heaven and they testify, they say, there are no shadows in heaven. Everywhere is light. Every being emanates light from God through them, out of them. There's no negativity in God. There is no depression in God. There's no fear in God. There's no anxiety in God. And you're partakers of the same nature. That means you have it in you. Your new creation nature is just that we have still allowed to control us. And we yield to our feelings, we yield to our emotions, we yield to the thoughts that are influenced by what we see, by what people say. 
and we don't live the life God has for us. Is there any hate in God? Do you know that you're not created to hate people? I don't like them. They're not like me. I'm different. I'm tribal. They're not. That's not the life of God, man. Huh? Who cares whether you're tribal or not? To think tribal is a lower kind of life. Do you know that? Don't think tribal. Think kingdom. Kingdom. Don't think Indian also. Think kingdom. Amen. You see. So now our faith, our knowledge, the way we think becomes important because we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Remember I showed you the three spirit, soul, body? Because of the fall of man, now man is living subject to the body and the soul. He has no spiritual knowledge. But the moment you get born again, you have a new creation. And now you're open to the things of the spirit, revelation from the spirit, to live from spiritual knowledge. Right? Now God wants you to live your life again, controlled, directed, led by the spirit. Not by your flesh, not by your soul or your feelings, right? That means you must train yourself to live ruled by your spirit. Walk in the spirit. Be led by the spirit. Live in the spirit. Amen. That means you have to learn to subject your body. Discipline your body. And that's why fasting is important. And that's why Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 says, The first thing you must do is this, what? Bring your body. Present it to God as a living sacrifice. Second thing, present your mind. Because the mind that was so used to reasoning out of your own physical senses, only what you see you believe. Ah, I can't believe in healing because I haven't seen it. Ah, I don't believe in angels because I have not seen it. Ah, I don't believe because I don't feel it. Ah, right? I don't believe because science has no explanation for God. Science has no explanation for creation. We have come from monkeys and apes because some scientists said that. So we have lived a whole life a prisoner of our mind and our body. But now God says everything has to change. You have to live from a new knowledge, a spirit knowledge. You are a spirit being. It takes time to adjust. That's why you have to bring your mind every day. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. How? You have to get into the Word and see who you are. What God says about you, what God says about Himself, what God says about this and about that. And you believe that. You believe that. And as you believe that, you will come to know the good, the acceptable and the perfect will of God. And you will learn to walk with God. But now your spirit man must control your soul and your body. See, many, much of theology is the mind still ruling. That's why we have liberal theologians that say, um, you know, Egypt did not really drown in the Red Sea because the human mind cannot understand miracles like the Red Sea parting. It's impossible. So liberal theologians have rationalized most of those miracles in the Old Testament as simply stories, metaphors. It didn't happen. It was just to communicate something to us. So they don't take the Bible literally. Theologians. That's why you have to renew your mind. Before I understood the Bible, I believed only what I saw. Even though I love Jesus. 
So it takes time to now believe what I don't see. And I get more excited by what I don't see than by what I see. Because what I see is getting old every day. But the inward man is being renewed day by day. So I live my life not looking to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Hallelujah. That means the life of God which is given to us at birth is already in you. Can you see it? You can't. Can you feel it? You can't. But you believe it. You accept it as a fact. Say this with me. I have the life of God in me. The life of God is flowing, is moving, is alive, is thriving in me. Ah, oh, you just get excited just to say that, right? The life of God is in me. What kind of life do you think God has? Huh? Lethargic life? Lahe, lahe life? Huh? What kind of life do you think God has? Duplicate life? Chinese life? Bangladesh life? What kind of life do you think God has? It's divine. Nothing from this world. That life never gets old. That life never loses its vitality. If you believe you have the life of God in you every day, you will get up and you will say, God lives in me. I'm strong in the Lord. The life of God is in me. We sing that song, right? I've got the life of God in me. I've got the life of God in me. How many of you have heard the song? <laughs> you haven't heard that song? Come on, say this with me. I've got the life of God in me. I've got the life of God in me. I don't know the other part. <laughs> Would we'll come tomorrow and give you the full song. But you've got the life of God in you. Right? You have the life of God. See, the great thing about salvation is that not only were your sins forgiven, but God comes to live in you. With his nature. Amen. Not only that. He puts you in Christ. Look at 1 John. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks. Whether slaves or free. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. There are many baptisms. It's not just one baptism. The moment you got born again. Look at look here. The moment you got born again, what happened? By one spirit, you were baptized into one body. The word baptism means to be immersed, right? So by one spirit, you, all of us, the moment you believe, were baptized into Christ. You're in Christ. That's the great truth about salvation. See, the Father's plan, listen to this. The Father's plan was not only to forgive you of your sins and then tell you, now try hard, okay? Huh? Make sure you don't fall, okay? Try hard, be good, 
Hold on. Don't give up. I'll come back. <laughs> that is not the Father's plan. Yet Christians live with this attitude that after salvation, they will have to go through life struggling and defeated under the dominion of sin and Satan, striving in their own efforts and trying desperately to hold on till Christ comes. The rapture. That's why they're always praying for the rapture. I say, Lord, come back soon. Instead of dominating, we want to escape. Right? And we never live to our full potential as Christians. Look at Hebrews 2 verse 10. God's original plan from the beginning was always this. For it was fitting for Him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of the salvation perfect through suffering. God's original plan was always to bring sons into glory. Not Christians who are saved. Sons. 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 God's original plan was to have sons. And the only way He can accept us as sons is through His Son. That's why Jesus was the seed that was sown in sacrifice. Jesus said, the grain of wheat must fall to the ground and die. He was referring to His own life. That His life would be sown and a harvest of sons will come. Just like Jesus. In the same image. In the same identity as Christ. Can you see that? Therefore Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ lives in me. So the new creation shan is actually Christ. I live by the life of Christ. It's not your life. We are trying to change your life, modify your life, transform your life. It's His life. My part is to die to my flesh, to die to my soul. My reasoning, my ego, my pride. Striving. And to let God live through me. To let Christ live through me. How? By understanding grace. Amen. And that's why we understand now that Christian life is impossible. Isn't it? It's so impossible that God said, you know, let's just kill you and let's put Christ in you. That's the only way you can live the Christian life. Hallelujah. Amen. What does the Father see today when He sees you? Amen. See, everyone who is born again has the same resurrected Christ in Him. Don't think Christ if Galilee. Think Christ in glory. There's a difference between Christ in Galilee and Christ in glory. The same but one is full of might and power and glory manifested. One is in his earthly identity. Paul says, do not regard Christ anymore in the flesh. The Christ that is in you is the resurrected Christ. We are saved because the Father sees his Son in us. When God sees the believer, he is pleased and the believer is accepted. Not see the believer... God sees you in Christ. 
Did you get it? You are not good enough by yourself. But the way he circumvents that is by putting you in Christ. It's a work of grace. We have never done anything with ourselves that has made us better or good in God's eyes. The only good that he sees in us is, can you say it? The only good that God sees in you is Christ. Because your good is not good enough. Your best is not good enough. The only way He can accept you is to accept you in Christ. You come on your own, you are not accepted. So you have to come in Christ. Right? It's Christ who represents you to the Father. Christ is your high priest. You are in Christ. So whenever you come to God to pray, to ask for anything, you're coming in Christ. Yes, in Christ. Now, the Father is sitting here. You're the Father, right? Just, just okay. Do you love Christ? Do you accept Christ? Are you pleased with Christ? Are you willing to bless Christ? That's the way He blesses you. He accepts you in the Beloved. Amen. You are blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are more than a conqueror through Christ. So you are accepted only because you are in Christ. When the Father sees you, He sees you in Christ. Amen. Do you see that? So it's no longer your works, your goodness. Whether you failed, whether you did great, it's no longer about those things. It's about Christ. Amen. When you see yourself, you will see sin, guilt, weakness, sins of omission, sins of commission. We Even after you're born again, huh? we cannot please God by ourselves. But when we try to do it by ourselves, live the Christian life by our own ability, we end up judging ourselves as unworthy because of our continuous sins and weaknesses. And we will question whether we are acceptable to God. But the right question to ask is this. Have you ever been worshipping and sometimes you ask, Lord, am I acceptable to you? Have you ever asked that question? That's the wrong question. The right question to ask is, Lord, is Christ acceptable to you? What do you think is the answer? If Christ is acceptable, you are. Because you're accepted in Christ. Otherwise, you'll be thinking, oh, is my prayer acceptable? Am I, you know, I met this lady who came, I think last year, for prayer and counseling because she was in a trap. I mean, it was a bondage. Every five minutes, the daughter was telling us she would pray the same prayer because she always thought her prayer was not good enough. And so she has to pray the same prayer again to be accepted because ah, our prayer must be perfect, right? Right? That's what we think. Our prayer must be perfect. So you pray, but you're not satisfied. You're not, ah. Punchanai. In Nagamis we say, the prayer is not perfect. Ah. So we pray again. But we pray again. So the daughter was saying, the mother pray the same prayer again and again and again and go unconscious. 
Because unsound mind. Unsound mind by doing religious things. Because she felt her prayer was never accepted. Because she's trying to be perfect. Nagaland. Religious spirit. Does God accept your prayers because your prayers are perfect? Huh? Come on. Then you better pray only in King James English. Don't pray in all these Nagamese and Hindi. Don't pray in that. Make sure you pray without grammar mistake, spelling mistake, huh? pronunciation mistake. Make sure it's perfect prayer. Huh? Okay, make sure it's perfect. Make sure your posture is perfect. Your attitude is perfect. Make sure there's not a single distraction. Can anyone pray a perfect prayer like that? Now, I'm not saying be careless. I'm saying pray by faith, trusting in Jesus. Because God doesn't accept you because of you. He accepts you because of Christ. Even your imperfect prayers are accepted in Christ. Sometimes you don't even have to pray long, complete sentences from your heart. Even a groan from your heart, God hears. Because you are in Christ. Amen. As long as Christ is acceptable, we are accepted. Question. Can Christ ever make a mistake that make him unacceptable? Huh? Can Christ ever fail? Can Christ ever fall from the throne? Can Christ ever backslide? Ah! That's our security. We can never be denied. Don't trust in yourself. Amen. See, this is the divine wisdom of God. God placed you in Christ so that Christ becomes your life and He placed you in Christ, placed Christ in us. And since Christ is the only one who can please the Father, who has ever pleased the Father by putting you in Christ by an act of His grace, And this is the way God accepts us as sons so that we can say we are complete in Christ. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. You are complete in Him. But we are trying to complete ourselves, right? To be complete, I have to give up tobacco. I have to give up lying. I have to give up this. I'm not complete yet. So we think, punchanai, punchanai. You always feel like ah, you're never satisfied. You're never satisfied here. You're never satisfied. So you're trying to live a sacrificial life. You're trying to live a holy life to please the Father. But you're not pleased because you are judging yourself, analyzing yourself all the time. Right? Have you ever analyzed your prayer, analyzed your devotion? It wasn't perfect. Let's do it again. It's a prison, I tell you. Amen. You see, there is an offering in the book of Leviticus called the peace offering. Okay, peace. And now the peace offering is a type of Jesus Christ. Okay, 
But in the peace offering, the animal is brought, okay? Part of the animals are burned on the altar of sacrifice. Parts of the animal are eaten by the high priest. And some parts of the animal are eaten by the offerer, the guilty man. You get it? Now, the sacrifice, the offering, animals, bulls, and goats, is all a type of Jesus. Okay. And now, there are five offerings, right? The guilt offering, the sin offering, you can study later. But the peace offering means this. The part that God eats from the altar of sacrifice is God who is satisfied with the offering. So he accepts it. Okay. The high priest, Aaron and his sons, a type of Jesus Christ, they also take of the sacrifice. That means Jesus is satisfied also with the offering. Satisfied means no more offering required. Propitiation. My wrath is satisfied, right? But the sinner, the Israelite, he also eats of the same offering. Do you get it? What does it mean? Revelation is here about this. The sacrifice represents Jesus. Jesus is your guilt offering. He is your sin offering. He is your wave offering. He is your grain offering. He is also your peace offering. What's a peace offering mean? Your peace is in understanding this truth. God the Father looks at the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and He is satisfied. No longer anymore sacrifice required. Jesus looks at His own sacrifice and He is satisfied. He is sitting on the throne. He's not working in heaven anymore. Right? He's not going to go back to the cross. He's satisfied. That means as far as Jesus is concerned, he knows no more sacrifice required. He's satisfied. His heart is full. God's heart is full. The sinner must also eat and be satisfied. That means we must also look to Jesus' sacrifice and see our peace is there. It's not in my works. It's not in my sacrifice. It's not in my perfect behavior. My peace is in the sacrifice of Jesus. And since the sacrifice of Jesus is finished, it is once and for all, my peace comes from there. God wants you to eat every day from the knowledge of redemption, the knowledge of His grace, new creation reality. Eat from that food every day and be satisfied. That God loves you, accepts you, blesses you because of Christ. Not you. Oh, what joy. What rest. What peace. Amen. Eat. Eat. Your good shepherd, he says, will make you lie down in green pastures. He will feed you. Jesus is the bread of Life. Amen. Hallelujah. So understanding 
new creation realities. You are not just forgiven of your sins. Try hard and hold on till Jesus comes. No. Something radical, powerful has happened on the inside. There has been an exchange of life. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.